All right, well, let's turn now to Acts chapter 11. We are moving on in our study of the life of Peter. We are now moving on from that great chapter. We spent weeks in chapter 10. Now we're in chapter 11. This wonderful thing has taken place. Peter has opened the door for the Gentiles to come into the church, and now Peter's on his way back home. So you would think this would be received in just a wonderful way. Well, I don't think so. So did you notice the title of the message today? Did you notice the title that we put in the bulletin? Conflict Among Believers. Now, does that surprise you? Does that shock you? Why, why in the world would we title it Conflict Among Believers? Surely God's people and believers don't have conflicts among themselves. Everybody gets along with one another and everything's just fine and wonderful, Right. Well, we're going to see that that's not the case, and we know that from the real world that we live in. Now, I borrowed a title. I was reading a commentary, and one of the writers called this section, or he titled it, Peter Gets Out of God's Way. And that just kind of struck me a little bit, and it caused me to just think, and I would ask you to examine your heart, are there times in your life and my life when you, when we, Get in God's way. Have you ever gotten in God's way? Peter gets out of God's way. So the writers have called this section Peter's defense, Peter's evidence. But when we look at it, we learn that a godly leader, a wise leader, do you want to be a leader in God's church? Are you a leader in God's church? A wisely God leader knows when to fight, knows when to back up, knows when to be quiet, knows when to change direction, and knows when to get out of the way. Now, the Christian church belongs to God, but many times we, we, we appreciate the church so much and we're so involved, we think it belongs to us. It doesn't belong to the elders. It doesn't belong to the deacons. It belongs to God. It's His church. Now, we can't compromise truth, but... Sometimes God's church needs to change to meet a problem. And change is part of God's plan, and Peter's going to learn that today. And in many ways, Peter has learned this the hard way, but that's okay with me. I'm glad to see it because many times that's the way we learn. We learn things the hard way. We have to be, we're slow to change. So Peter, if you'll remember, was praying in Joppa. He didn't know it, but at the very same time, some events were taking place, and his world was about to be turned upside down. His world was about to change forever. So the church is growing now as it preaches the gospel, yet a major, major change is coming, and Peter is slow to get on board with it. But he finally gets it. Now, how important is this for a leader? I'm going to give you a, a couple of things from a leadership standpoint that we need to be involved in. Are you, are you a leader today? Do you want to be a leader? One of the responsibilities of the church is to find young men who can be leaders someday and train them and bring them up. A couple of questions for you. First of all, are you teachable? Are you teachable? If you're not teachable... Don't get involved in leadership with God's church. Don't do it. 
Next, if you want to be a leader, if you are a leader, you must be able to teach God's Word and spread it. Now, you don't have to be a theologian, but you do have to know enough about it and be willing to teach it and spread it if the Lord opens the door for you. So in this section, Peter, tell us what is the great, big, deep theological truth that you want us to get out of this section, Peter? Get out of God's way. Get out of God's way. Now, up to this point, and I've said it before, and I'm going to keep saying it so you'll know where we are. Up to this point, very few Gentiles have come into the church. Those are people that are not Jews. Very few have come into the church, and for the few that have, they have to become a Jew first, and they have to be circumcised. Then they're allowed into the church. Now, in chapter 11, we see how the Jewish leaders respond to these new Gentile Christians that are coming into the church. We also learn how to relate to one another, or how we should relate to one another. We don't necessarily learn that everyone does this all the time. So now, Neil, I'm glad Neil read through verse 18, because we see after this big conflict, we're going to deal with a conflict today, but he read far enough ahead that we can see after this conflict, the church works it out, and it's, it's good, and the church is moving on in a positive direction. But as, I had, but as one church pastor said to, and to me and some others in this town, he said, watching church leadership work isn't pretty. It's kind of like watching sausage be made. He said, it isn't pretty, but the end result's usually pretty good. Well, today we're going to deal with the sausage. We're not going to get to the end result till somewhere down the road a little bit. So this major change is coming. They must become a Jew. They must be circumcised. That's the background as we move into this. Okay. Now, as we move into verse 1, I want you to see that the Gentiles are accepted dot, 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 slowly. All right, look at verse 1. Now, the apostles and the brethren who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So news is spreading back to the church at Jerusalem. How are they getting this information? Well, Peter stayed on. Remember, he stayed there for a few days. The men who were there with him probably said to Peter, Hey, Peter, we have to work for a living. We can't stay here. We've got to go back t- t- home and work. You preachers only work on Sunday. We all know that, but we actually work for a living, so we've got to go back. So some of those guys probably went back. When they got back, they're spreading the news about what's happened. Peter stayed. He's helping Cornelius in a church for several days. Now, as this news spreads to the church back in Jerusalem, this is just unbelievable to the Jews. The word is getting out that the Gentiles have been received into the New Testament church and have been given the word of God and the Holy Spirit. Now, if you'll notice, when you read the section, they aren't very excited about that. They don't find a lot of joy in this announcement. So what is the news? And I'm searching for a word, and this is not too strong. The hated Gentiles are now included in the church. That's not too strong a word. They hate the Gentiles. 
So the news reaches back to Jerusalem before Peter gets there, and it just sends a shock wave throughout the church. The Bible describes it as, it as good news. The church does not receive it that way. So how important is this? You know how important the conversion of Saul, Paul is. The Bible gives us 31 verses covering the conversion of St. Paul. We have 66 verses covering the con conversion of Cornelius. How important is this? It's huge. I want to read you something I found in a commentary. And he said, There was to be one church, not two churches, which is what would have happened otherwise. And then he quotes, it re What's going on here? It required a major readjustment of all thinking for a people. Fiercely conscious of racial privilege and stirred anew by the thought that the Messiah of promise had appeared and spoken, ready to abandon the thought that a unique national destiny approached fulfillment, to accept a reinterpretation of ancient prophecies, to admit a spiritual rendering of old promises accepted and cherished as literal and material, to see Israel melt into the church and the minority of the chosen lose identity and privilege and special place in a global organization called for insight, faith, a transcendent view of God, rarely found in any but the most enlightened souls. And he said, this is not an overstatement. So that's what's going on. So as we move into verse 2, Peter walks into a firestorm. Let's look at verse 2. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those who were circumcised took issue with him. So Peter, you did what? How could you do that? Now, those who were circumcised, who are these men? Everyone. Everyone that's there. All Jewish men were circumcised. They are the critics. Now, where are the apostles? I'm arguing from silence, but I think you would have to come to the conclusion that the apostles are in the group. They are part of the critics. Because if a Gentile wants to join a church, they have to first become a Jew and then be circumcised. The Bible says they took issue with him, which means they argued with him. Now, their foundation, we're not dealing with ungodly men here. We're dealing with an argument, a disagreement among godly people. And they're standing on the Bible when they make their argument. Listen to Amos chapter 3, verse 2, as it speaks of the Jews. You only have I chosen among all the nations of the earth. So they're, they're going to say, see, 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 Peter, you are wrong. All right, well now, I'm going to go to Isaiah 43, 21. Isaiah 43, verse 21. The people whom I formed for myself will declare my praise. Talking about the Jews. So these godly men in Jerusalem are standing, as they see it, they are standing on Scripture as they are now criticizing Peter. Now, the Greek here in our text means to separate or to let a judge decide. So the Bible says they argued with him or against him. So Peter is being corrected by the believers. 
Now, God did say to Israel, stay away from the pagans. That's their argument right now. So the Jewish believers are looking down on these ignorant Gentiles. Once they're circumcised, well, okay, but then only at a distance. So we see doubt and we see division here trying to enter God's church. So the Jews see what Peter did, well, as a terrible thing. And a few days ago, Peter thought the same thing. So the locals do not see this as good news. They are, so, they are holding to the same foundation that Peter has just overcome. So it says they took issue with him, which means to make a difference. These Jews are trying to make a difference between the Gentiles and the Jews. They're trying as hard as they can to divide God's church. So Peter would say, I have learned that there's no difference because he held the same position. Now, one commentator said this, that the Jews view what Peter has done as so bad, this commentator said that in their mind, Peter should be excommunicated. That's how strong they're holding to their position. The men back in Jerusalem seem to be embarrassed by what Peter has done. So as we look at this verse, ask some questions. Where are the apostles? Where is Peter's good friend, John? Where are you, John? Where's Andrew, who has such a pleasant personality and is known for bringing people to Jesus? We found the Messiah. Messiah's not coming out of that town. Come and see. Where's Andrew? Hey, John, your best friend is being attacked. Why don't you help him? John 3.16, the gospel of John. John writes, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. But John hasn't written that yet. He's not there yet. Now today, for us, it's the opposite of chapter 11. The majority of the Christian church is Gentiles, made up of Gentiles, not Jews. More professing Christians are Gentiles than Jews, and in some cases, the Christian church is now looking down on the Jew. But today, are we trying to evangelize the Jewish nation, the nation of Israel? Many in America want to hold modern Israel up as God's people and overlook their sins, and that's not what we find in the Bible. The church is the new Jerusalem, not Israel. The nation of Israel may be an ally of us as a country and a nation, and we should have great relationships with them, but they are not a Christian nation now. In fact, they're persecuting Christians. So we as Christians better be careful. We have no special alliance to the nation, the physical nation of Israel today. We should be praying that they'll be converted and stop persecuting Christians over there. Romans 3.23, there are no differences between Jews and Gentiles. So the circumcised here, all of them are demanding that Peter explain himself. Explain your conduct, Peter. And it's interesting because this is the first time that the leader 
of the apostles is being challenged. First time. Now, the Roman Catholic Church wants to hold Peter up as the Pope. Okay, well, why are they arguing with their Pope? You're not supposed to argue with the Pope. Now, they might say, well, he's not the Pope yet. But this is the leader, and the men are standing up to him. Now, verse 3, this is so strong that one writer put it this way, Peter is put on trial. Verse 3, let's read it. So they said, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? In other words, you did what, Peter? Now, this is the original charge against Peter. It's how dare you do that? They are offended by what Peter has done. These men are outraged. The charge, you ate with the Gentiles. You associated with them. You received hospitality from them. Well, you preached to them. Well, okay, as long as you preached to them, okay. Well, we can go along with that, but you ate with them? Peter, that crossed the line. And God said, no, it didn't. So their point to Peter is, you should not have anything to do with these people. They don't get it. Now, do you remember the theme verse for the book of Acts? We've talked about that many times. Do you remember what chapter it's found in? Do you remember what chapter it's found in? Chapter 1. Do you remember the verse? Chapter 1, verse some of your mouth in it. Chapter 1, verse 8. Okay. Underline it, mark it in your Bible, where we read, You shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest parts of the earth. Now, Peter was slow, but he's starting to get this. He's starting to reach out. The church in Jerusalem is not doing that. So they're saying, Peter, defend yourself. You showed grace to a people that we don't like. And Peter would say, yes, the charge is true. Do I need this? <laughs> Sorry. Thank you. I might as well take a drink since you brought it. Now, here's what's unspoken. If it's right for Peter to go into the home of the Gentile and receive hospitality, then it's also right for the Gentiles to go into the Jewish homes and receive hospitality. And these men know that, and they're choking big time. Now, it's, it's great when you take a step ahead of me and you're thinking, okay, well, what about this and what about that? That's what these guys are doing. If you went into the Gentiles' home, that means they're going to be coming into my home. And they're choking on it. That's a problem. So I would just ask you today, who is it? And maybe it's a type of people, a race, or maybe it's just an individual. Who is it that you do not want in your home? Is there anyone? Can you identify anyone or a type of people, a race of people that you do not want in your home? Think about that as you move through this message. Now today, not just this church, but any Christian church in our country, we want people to join the church. We want other people to join the church. But many times, even if we don't say it, it's unspoken. We want people to join the church who are like us. 
Now, how about if blacks wanted to join this church? Some churches would say, well, they can join the church, but just don't act like blacks act. Or if you have a black church and they want white, and whites want to join, well, that's okay, but just, just leave your whiteness at the door. Or if they want to join a church, we don't want too many of them. Now, the church that I grew up in in Virginia was a white church for most of my life. And a number of years ago, they brought in a black pastor. And so now that church, I don't know what the, I don't know what the numbers would be, but it, it might be 50-50. You think it's 50-50? Janie Shatner hit yes. It's probably 50% black, 50% white. And it's going well. So that, they're, they're an example to us in that area. That's the way it should be. We shouldn't have a problem getting along with someone because their accent's different or their skin color's different. How about charismatics? Yes, you can join the church, but just leave your charismatic behavior at the door. I know charismatics, and some of them are more godly than I am. They have a more godly walk than I do. I've, I've learned from them. God takes people where they are. He takes people where they are. Now, he'll take you where you are, but once you come into the church, he won't leave you where you are. He will then, he's going to change you. Once you come in, you will start changing. And that's a sign of your conversion, a sign that it's real. All those problems that you struggle with for years and years and years, you're going to start to get a handle on them. You may struggle with some for the rest of your life, but you'll start to see an improvement on these areas where you're struggling. God takes people where they are, but he doesn't leave us where we are once we come to Jesus. Now, as we move into verse 4, I want you to see how a mature Christian handles criticism. How a mature Christian handles criticism. All right, verse 4. But Peter began speaking and proceeded to explain to them an orderly sequence saying, and Neil read what he has to say, and we'll look at that next week. We're not going to get that far. But Peter knows why they're struggling. He doesn't mock them. He said, I get it, guys. I was there myself a few days ago. So how does Peter deal with this? Now, the old Peter would have just raised his voice, and as long as he was yelling louder than the other guy, he'd probably think he won the argument. Or the young Peter would have cut off the guy's ear for disagreeing with him. But, you know, praise God, that's not what we see here. We see growth and change in Peter, and now we see a spirit filled Peter. Isn't that neat to see this change taking place? And we see, and I'm so pleased to be able to say this, we see a wise response from Peter. A wise response. Now, he could have said, hey, I'm an apostle. I walked with Jesus. Don't question me. Don't talk to me like that. God told me to do it. I went and did it, and that's it. No, Peter does not hold up his apostleship he doesn't do that. Notice also, Peter's defense is not an argument. His defense is a statement of facts. A statement of facts. Peter would say, hey guys, I wasn't eager to do this, but God is in this. 
So here's a lesson that we can all learn from Peter and the way he handles this. Peter deals with criticism when he didn't deserve it. He deals with criticism that he doesn't deserve. Now, how does he handle it in the verses to come? He's open, he's vulnerable, and he gives no defense at all other than the facts. So I want to apply this. I have two main points in the application. How does God guide his people? How does God guide his people? Now, Peter, I'm going to stretch the definition a little bit. Peter finds his guidance in God's word. God spoke directly to Peter. But I can apply it to us that way because Peter did not have a complete Bible. You do. Peter found his guidance as we would in God's Word. Now, you have to wonder why these men are struggling the way they are, because all the way back in Genesis chapter 12, uh, dealing with Abram, God said in verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. All the families. Now, did they look at that and say, okay, maybe that's all the Jewish families? We don't know, but why are they so surprised? God revealed his will to Peter. Why did he reveal it directly to Peter? Because Peter does not have a Bible. He does not have a completed Bible. You do. Our guidance should be Bible-based. Now, not emotion-based. Now, we live in a day, in a culture, that's becoming more and more emotional in every decision that's being made. Are you mad at someone? Are you holding a grudge against someone? Analyze it. Are emotions guiding your anger? Are facts? If someone did something you don't appreciate, did they handle it in a biblical way? Did they not handle it in a biblical way? We need to base our response on the Bible and not on our emotions. Everything we want to do should be tested by God's Word. I'm going to give you one verse from Psalm 32. You know, I, get, I probably get more out of putting these things together than, than you do being here on Sunday morning. You've heard that before. The teacher's the one that gets the most out of something. This verse just really hit me between the eyes. Psalm 32, verse 8, David, repenting, and God said, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. Now, folks, that's dogmatic. That's strong. I think we should take that verse and pray it back to God and say, Okay, Lord, you said, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go, and Lord, I'm holding that verse up to you. I want you to do that in my life. I, then it goes on. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Then in verse 9, he gives us the negative of what not to do. So we'll come back there in a minute. But next thing we see, how does God guide his people? God guides his people through providence. God's providence opened a door that allowed Peter to share God's word. Third thing we see, Peter was obedient. Peter was obedient. 
He went to Cornelius. Now, while he's going to Cornelius, all of his training and his background are saying, no, don't go, don't do it. But he was obedient, and he went. And then finally, God confirmed his plan to Peter. So Peter moves into this unknown territory, and in his mind, it's ethical territory. It wasn't, but in his mind, that's what he thought. God said, go to the Gentiles, an untouchable people, Gentiles, Cornelius. So remember, Jesus gave Peter the keys to the kingdom. Peter opened the door. He used the key that God gave him to open the door to an unknown world. And as one writer said, but he found the door unlocked. I just thought that was interesting. He found the door unlocked. Now, the second part of our application, as we tighten it up a little bit, how do we know God's will for our life? How do you know God's will for your life? Well, Boyce in his commentary listed uh, three or four things that he got from Barnhouse. Now, I didn't look it up, but I'm quite sure Barnhouse had the church before Boyce, and Barnhouse was famous as well. So I'm going to share with you what Boyce passed on from Barnhouse. The first thing that he says is that Peter was praying. Peter was praying about what to do. Now, just Peter's praying, and he's thinking, Lord, I think I'll reach out to the Gentiles. Oh, no, 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 no. That's not what he's doing. He has no desire to do that. But he was praying. So Barnhouse gives us three things that he says will point us and know God's will for our life. If you get all three of these, okay, first. Now, this first one hit me like a ton of bricks between the eyes. This, this one got my attention, and I said, okay, Lord, I, I, I need to change, and I need to do a better job here. The first one is be willing to do the will of God before you know what it is. Now, how many times have we said, Lord, show me what to do, but, but I don't want to do this, and I don't want to do that. But other than that, Lord, show me what to do. Be willing to do the will of God before you know what it is. Now, not, God's not going to lay out three or four things for you. That's not going to happen. But when you're ready to obey, Barnhouse said, he'll tell you. When you're ready to obey, he'll tell you. Second one, number two, God speaks through the Bible, not against the Bible. If your emotions are saying, I want to do this, and the Bible says do this, you gotta, you got to yield to Scripture and rein in your emotions. We all have these things. But also, if he's going to speak through the Bible, you must know the Bible and, and understand it. And you might say, well, I'm, I'm 60 years old, and I've never really started reading the Scripture. Okay, well, start today. Start tomorrow. There are one-year Bible reading plans out there, and... Uh, I'll be honest with you, I've, I've picked up that one-year plan of reading through the Bible in a year, and I was just too busy for it. I just couldn't keep up with it. And then I got, I got discouraged, and thought I should be able to keep up with it, but I couldn't keep up with it, so then I just stopped. Well, Janie found one that's about my speed. She found a three-year plan for reading through the Scripture. Okay, great. 
If it takes you three years to read through it, praise God. You're reading His Word. You're learning it. You're memorizing it. You're being exposed to all the different areas. But Steve, I'm reading Genesis chapter 1 about creation. How's God going to help me with my problem in my marriage when I'm reading Genesis chapter 1? He'll do it. He'll do it. There'll be a reference to some other section, or the Lord will speak to you while you're reading it. He'll find a way to do it. Number three. Barnhouse said, look to God on a regular basis. Now, what is that? I'm not going to define it for you. And he didn't define it. Is it daily? Is it hourly? Yes. I'm just going to say, yes. Look to God on a regular basis. Now, again, go back to the text we just read, Psalm 32, verse 8. Dogmatic Words from the Lord, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. So Peter prayed, and while he's praying, prayer is talking to the Lord. So you've got a conversation going. You're talking to the Lord, and the Lord's going to talk to you. So God responded to Peter praying. So how will you lead me, Lord? That was Peter's cry. Now, Peter wasn't sure if he liked what the Lord told him to do. But now we're dealing with a Peter that's growing and maturing spiritually, and this Peter obeyed. Praise God. And he's taken all kinds of flack and heat from the church back home, and we're going to deal with the details of what's going on next week. But the good news is, Neil read for us at the end of the chapter, they're all amazed, but they're in agreement. Church government is very similar to watching sausage be made. It ain't pretty, but the end result is usually good. Let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you for Peter. We see the change that's taking place in him, Lord. We praise you for sharing that change so we can see him growing, stumbling, growing, stumbling, growing. And now we see a wise Peter. Thank you for that, Lord. I pray that you'll help us, Lord, to be wise and be found in your word and look to you for guidance, Lord. And we pray these promises that you have made and we claim them, Lord. Show us what you want us to do. We pray and ask in Jesus' name, amen.